Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on autism. Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host. And today is hopefully going to be an enlightening day. I've decided to do a special show today because of the tragedy in Connecticut. So I'm going to set aside my other show and have them uh, put an extra one up this month. I want to tell you a story, and I hope it helps people. When my son was little, quite little, he was about uh, four years old, when he started uh, showing an interest in dead bodies. He was especially interested in the idea of cutting up little pieces of material and putting them in mason jars, or any kind of jar, really, that he could get, and filling it with water. And then when people would come and see it, or he would bring it to you, he would say, dead body. He got a little bit older, and he came up with some other ideas. And at one point, I guess he was about seven. Um, I'm very bad at this, by the way. When you look back in time, you know, I'll say something like he was about seven, and my son will go, no, I was nine, or no, I was five. But it was in and around that age. He was around seven-ish, and uh, he started setting out clothes, you know, shirt, pants, socks. And then he'd hide around the corner, and he'd wait for somebody to come by, and he'd pop out, and he'd say, it's a dead body. And so, you know, this, as you can imagine, drew a little bit of attention. And uh, I remember the, the camp counselors when I had sent him to a camp hoping that he would make it through more than one day before they called me and sent him home. And he did. He made it through two. And their biggest fear and concern was that he was doing this thing with these dead bodies. And I remember at the time having many discussions wherein I would say something like this. Do not make something out of nothing. I think the question that I want to have today that we're going to seek an answer to is how do you prevent things like Connecticut? And if they happen, how do you make sure they didn't happen as a result of your population? and draw this negative attention to autism. Well, the first thing I would say is that it's not the point. We just don't want the tragedies to happen. Truth is, you can make a neurotypical child just as crazy as you can make an Asperger's or a, you know, any, any brain-disabled child. You can take a perfectly normal child and teach him to kill. We do it all the time. We call them soldiers. So let's look at the story of my son a little closer. 
So I'm saying to, my, to the, the teachers and the camp counselors, please do not make something out of nothing. Do not implant in his mind the idea that he will be a serial killer because they were using words like serial killer. This is what he's going to be. And I'm like, please do not prophesy this. Let's look at how he's behaving and treat it accordingly. It was really very clear that all he was trying to do was get a reaction, get people to freak out. It's fun for him. It's fun for lots of ASD kids. It's fun for lots of kids. So I did my best to explain that this probably wasn't the best way to go about it and, you know, came up with other ways that he could get attention. And he did some of them, but he really did like to be a bit dramatic. Sometimes he would do things like hang out of a window and scream so that the people going by, be the second-story window, you know, he's screaming, ah, help, help and people going by would come running to save him and knock on my door, and I'd just say, right, get inside. So he was that kid. He was the one that um, eventually he started, he really, really loved rabbits, and uh, he just thought they were so soft and cuddly, and we had a, had a pet rabbit. And um, he came in one day, and he was, again, he was quite young, and they, I guess they did this song at the daycare, where they would have this stuffed rabbit and they would hop it and they would say, hop the bunny, hop the bunny. So he got the real bunny out of the cage and he comes, you know, flipping around the corner, hop the bunny, hop the bunny, and he's bounced, you know, shaking this bunny, hop the bunny. And he's just, I'm kind of proud that he's doing what they did at school and that he can sing the words. And then I noticed that the bunny's neck is flopping and flopping awkwardly. And then I realized the bunny's dead and that he had hopped the bunny to the point where the neck had snapped. So we buried the bunny and uh, we talked about the bunny and we talked about funerals and he felt very bad and he kept digging up the bunny trying to resuscitate it. And I kept saying, no, the bunny is dead. You can't bring it back to life. And so he sat at the piano and played this very mournful song with only two notes. The bunny is dead. The poor bunny is dead. But that wasn't the only rabbit that he killed. He, uh, he killed a couple more. We continued to get pets in the house because I wanted him to learn. And each time, of course, I thought it was going to be fine and... He never killed a cat, and he never killed a dog that I know of, but he killed a few rabbits. He found it interesting to, to kill animals, actually. And so we had to deal with that. We had to talk to him about it. We had to teach him differently. We didn't scream and call him names. We didn't take the typical behaviorist approach and you know, keep him separate from everything in the world, sit him at a desk. But school did. School continued to try to control him and teach him in, in the way that is actually pretty typical of how it's done. So I remember one time, you know, we're moving on now. We're, he's getting a 
little older and you still, by the way, can't read or do any math, you know, maybe one and one and two and two and that's about it. And most of his teachers call me and cry all year long because he's so hard to have in the classroom. We get to um, this one year where I walk in and there he is behind these two pieces of wood because they're trying to make it so that the only thing he can see is his paper. And they began to control him so hard that that they're basically shielding him like you shield a horse from seeing what's on either side of him. It's not the only time they did something like that. They, When he was younger, they had him tied up. They had a lead vest on him. They had... Uh, an adult on either side, and no other children in the bus, and a cab following. And he was four. But he used to wing his shoe at the bus driver, so they figured it required an awful lot of adults to prevent that. There were many times in his growing up years where the answer in the school system or the answer in the camps or the answer from the children's aid or the answer from the police or the answer from the neighbors was control him. My answer was always different than that. And it was teach him. And I kept saying, please, do not make something out of nothing. And when it was something like killing animals, I said, please, do not make nothing out of something. And that's what keeps circling around in my head right now in light of the tragedy, the horror of these elementary children in Connecticut and the attention we're about to get in this population of autism. It is very important that we do not make something out of nothing. But it's equally as important that we do not ignore the real issues. This particular son that I'm telling you about, eventually he got Tourette's. Tourette's made him very angry. He lost his cute sweetness. Before, most of the things were innocent and Pretty much all the things were innocent. Even killing the bunny was hop the bunny. The next bunny he killed, it was because he loved it so much he squeezed it to death like in of mice and men. And then the third one he killed was because he was so, as he said it, so, so, so angry. He just had to squeeze it. But that was the last animal he killed to my knowledge. Certainly one can never 100% know about their children, but I've kept a pretty good eye on them, so I think it was. He killed some insects after that, though. Anyway, when he got Tourette's, he got very angry. He lost his cute sweetness. He did a lot of screaming and yelling and swearing. Lots of fuck you mothers came out of his mouth. Punched holes in the walls a lot. Of course, I was desperately looking to figure out how to help him, and eventually I found neurofeedback, and those of you who have stayed with the program before, you know that that's the story. 
Maybe you didn't know all these pieces. And along the way, the school system, the educators, the children's aid, et cetera, et cetera, did things like try to put them in detention centers and control them and control them and control them. Teach them body space, you know, don't, don't come this much closer to me and that sort of thing. And it just wasn't helping him learn. So I took him out of school. I took all the kids out of school. Because what I perceived as missing, and what I still perceive as missing, is that everybody doing the normal approach, quote-unquote normal approach for helping children with autism, is telling them not to be themselves. Do not do the things that you enjoy. Do not flap your hands. Do not make those funny noises. Do not jump up and down. Do not walk in a circle. Do not constantly stare. Do not, whatever it is, do not line everything up in a, in a <laughs> actually, I was thinking of the fanned out pattern that a child that I work with uses. Do not, do not, do not be yourself because we don't like that. We don't like you when you do that. Now, we might use different words, but if everything the child likes to do is considered bad and told, if the child is told not to do it, eventually they get the message loud and clear, the world does not like me. And that wasn't the message I wanted my son to have. Understand that at every turn, I taught this boy over and over and over again. But I did not teach him that I did not like him. And I did not teach him that I did not like his weirdnesses. He used to blink a lot. I thought it was a, t- a tick for a while, and then he told me, no, no, it's to keep the poo, bu- poo bugs out of my eyes. So here he was living in a world where he saw poo bugs flying at his eyes, and he had to blink. I mean, goodness gracious, if I told him not to blink, who knows what could have happened with all that feces in his eyes. You get my point. Okay, let's move on. The same boy. So he does really well. By the way, we're not going to have a guest giveaway or any of that stuff. I'm just going to tell this story, and then I'm going to say goodnight, and I hope it helps somebody. So we get to the point where he's done really well. I've taken him out of the school and taught him how to read and taught him how to do math, and he's gotten a driver's license, and he's gotten some jobs, and he gets his own apartment, and he gets the town behind him, and eventually he's not ticking anymore, and I'm doing neurofeedback, and I'm helping him, and he's, he gets fired over and over again. He stops losing his temper. He starts to get along with people, and every once in a while, you know what he stops? He stops even clapping his hands really loud in the echoey post office and saying, Woo! He stops it off. He's still a little weird, still walks with a bounce. He's still, you know, a little challenged socially. 
But he pays his own bills and runs his own business, and the whole town has started to support him. So much so that I did a show called A Tribute to T, because it's the name of the town, and they have become wonderful people for him. Just before this thing happened with Connecticut, a week or so before, a little less maybe, a man pushed his way into my son's apartment and threatening to shoot him, raped him. My son, by the way, was still a virgin, innocent in this way. Then he made him get in the shower to try and get rid of any DNA evidence, I guess. And my son managed to get out his bathroom window and run to the nearest gas station, which isn't that far from his home, fortunately, and the people know him. And he was able to call his sister, who called her husband, who we got the police, had the rape kit done. He's now afraid to go and stay in his apartment, of course, and he's probably in danger. The guy isn't caught yet. And he was willing to go through all the steps. He went and he answered all the questions. He gave great testimony. He isn't freaking out. He's just saying, you know, I think I'm still a little bit afraid. Can I stay at someone else's house? Can I, you know, I mean, you can be neurotypical. You can be Asperger's. You can be the victim. You can be the perpetrator. This is a violent society we live in. Very violent. And this is an American disease, walking into a school and shooting children. It happens here. And it happens most often not perpetrated by an Asperger's child. But we do need to look at it. We do need to look at the peculiarities, the the way that our spectrum children view the world, view violence, view animals, view sex, view... We need to look at all of this, and we need to look at it every minute, all along the way. Just as I now have to help my son look beyond the violence that was perpetrated on him to a way and a day when he feels just as strong and just as independent as he did the day before that happened. So the reason I say that today's story is about don't make something out of nothing and don't make nothing out of something is because the last atrocity that happened like this, there was a man in the news, and I'm sorry, Names are escaping me right now, probably because I'm telling you all these things, if you're still listening. And he said that he can imagine that, you know, 
the child who would do something like that might have something like autism and be on the spectrum. Or there was an enormous outcry that he would dare to say such a thing. There was so much outcry that nobody was really giving it any weight or thinking about it or challenging it in a true way. Nobody was that I heard was saying, you know, there's some points there. Let's look at that. Let's use that bit of thinking to try and help our kids. Because you know what? Maybe we should be talking really clearly with our kids and helping them every step of the way to understand what it is they're doing, why they're doing it, their sensory compulsions. But instead we're busy getting mad at them, being outraged. Well, being outraged and teaching kids that we don't like anything that they are is going to lead to this kind of behavior. And it doesn't matter what kind of crazy they are. You can take anybody, any neurotypical person, and if you raise them with the kind of constant control that these kids are raised with, you might not like the results. To me, the something or all the events along the way that have to be looked at and talked about and dealt with and taught to and helped, not controlled, but changed. And the nothings that are turned into somethings are the little children playing innocent games, doing things that don't hurt anybody, being called names and told that they are going to be horrible later. I hope that helps somebody because that was not easy to tell. It's still too fresh. My name is Lynette Louise. This is a new spin on autism. Answers. I'm your story teacher host. And please say a prayer for all the people who suffer from any act of violence anywhere on this world. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of a new spin on autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear you.